0: Okay, we're in John chapter 8, verses 12 to 36. Jesus can set you free. I'm going to show you an image. I've got a few images I'm going to show you today. Uh, This is not a Christmas decoration. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Uh, This is a ball and chain. Uh, on a what looks like a businessman, I'm sure he's a model of a businessman. But I just wanted to have that image in your head because I said Jesus can set you free is the title of the message, and that's what our text is going to tell us. It's what Jesus teaches in this part of His ministry. But when we hear this, many of us are thinking, "I, I'm not a slave. I'm not." I don't I don't need to be set free. Well that's what the audience thought when he was preaching it as well. I just wanted you to have an image in your head that gives us an impression that there could be times when something's holding us back and we don't acknowledge it. We've got a big ball and chain slowing us down and we we just don't realize that's happening. Very similar to Captain of the ship in a storm where the instruments weren't working properly, and he could see that there's a light in front of him. So he radios ahead, and I know I don't know the proper radio etiquette for this, but he said something to the effect of, I see you, you see me, we're coming full speed, you need to move to the left, to the right. We're not changing our course. On the other end, roger that, I understand. Uh, We're unable to move. You're going to have to change your course. We recommend to go to the right, go to your right. And of course, the battle continues on the radio and neither are giving in. I'd like to talk about the rest of that a little bit later. Just wanted to give you a little bit of a preview of a story I'll finish at the end. Here's another image. This is, when you see this, what do you think you're looking at? A little kid is definitely the focus. It appears that he's, would, would all of you agree that it appears that he's by himself? Does anybody disagree? Nobody? Okay. Well, there are a bunch of people around. But they're not connected to him is what it looks like. It looks like he's right in the middle of a bunch of people, but he's still by himself. You do know that you know people like that. They have families. They have other people in their home. May have been married for years may go to work every day, may go to school every day, around a lot of people, may go to the mall in the afternoon sometimes. They're around people, but they feel all alone. And the reality is, in this group, there's likely someone here, maybe more than one, who feels that on a regular basis. I wanted to have that image in your head. I've got more images that'll be coming. But let's go ahead and jump right into the text today. John chapter 8, verse 12 begins. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And for those of us who are aspiring Bible students, we look at this and and you might think, okay, I don't remember... When did he say, because it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When did he already say that? Go back and you look through John and it's not there. You go back and look through the other gospels and it's, it's not there. The problem is, this doesn't say, again, Jesus spoke to them saying these words. It's connected. It's, again, Jesus spoke to them, this time saying these words. It can be a little confusing. There is a comma there. Let the comma do what it's supposed to do. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is a bigger statement than it appears on the surface, even though we've already had the background. The problem is last week's text, which was a monumental thing for us to go through because that is, that's just a big chunk to deal with, all of the stuff that goes with it. We have a story that was interjected long after the Bible was written. So we need to back up to where we actually left off. And I want to give you some images that will help you do that. So to start, I want you to look at this. Oh, got you scriptures here. There we go. Good job, J.C. I want you to imagine that J.C. just looked them all up and put them on there, and he's helping me. <laughs> but what he did is he clicked a button, and they all came up. Okay. These references in the Old Testament are just some. So as he's saying this, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These are references that the Messiah will be the light. There are more. If you go into the... If you remember, you don't even have to go into, start looking it up right now, you can go in your memory banks because you watched the movies or you just remember reading it before or you're in Sunday school and you remember when the people were being led by God by a fire, light. The Shekinah God led them. Okay, that's a reference to this as well. But this is a big deal. So I want to talk about that. Remember when he's talking, this is the festival of, or the feast of tabernacles, otherwise known as Sukkot, or uh, the feast of booths, or there's all different names for it, but we talked about it already. And remember, I talked about how there's this uh, ritual of the water. Well, that ritual actually happens daily, but it goes All the way to the last day, it culminates. They go Sabbath to Sabbath. An eighth day was added later. But they go Sabbath to Sabbath. And there's a lot going on that's happening on that final day. Everything is very similar up until that time. And on this day, it's a little different because they actually do something instead of once. They do it seven times. This time, there there were trumpets before after the flute was playing and uh, trumpets blasted as the the, uh, priest comes in with the water and pours it on the altar. He also pours wine, but the water is the main emphasis. And then, as he does this, on the seventh day, there is a a part of the ceremony that is called illumination. We haven't talked about that. It's a significant part of this feast. So the water, remember Jesus had the crowd there, and the water is being poured. This is on the, more than likely, the final day of the ceremony. And as everybody is focused on, God is the one who provides the bounty. He did it when we were wandering in the desert. He provided the manna from heaven. He he! Remember when we were enslaved and then we were set free and then we decided, oh, we can't have the promised land. And so he showed us and we wandered around for 40 years. Yet he provided manna from heaven and water from a rock. Remember all that? God is the provider and rains are coming. And this happened this October. The, the Jewish people celebrated this same feast. And that's to celebrate that God provides all the bounty by the water. And Jesus then says... After, oh, by the way, a choir starts singing when the water is being poured. And Jesus says, I am the living water. And he goes, you know, we've talked about all of that. There's a lot more, but that leads up to this. That was all in chapter seven. That leads up to our section right now. And then what we haven't talked about is the illumination part. This happens at the end while the water thing is happening. This all goes through the whole day. This whole, each day they have a water part at the, that starts at the beginning of the day and they're all feasting. And at the end of the day, it culminates with that water ceremony. And then there's the illumination. So I want to show you an image. Look at this image up behind me. This is inside the temple area you want me to tell you what this is called? Because this is surprising to a lot of people. The area that you're looking at right now, that whole open area, is called the court of women. Interesting, isn't it? Nice big area. What I want you to pay attention to, though, is the things that you don't you normally see when you see the temple drawn out, or you see a model of the temple, or you see a, a, a basically a diagram of all the places in, within the temple, there's a part that's usually left out, and you're looking at the part right now. There are four columns with lights on. Those are oil lamps on them. Uh, some would say that they put uh, candelabras up there, but it's very unlikely that that's what they did because they were supposed to have like four bases of oil in each one of them, and then they are illuminated at the time that they're reaching that climax of the water ceremony. And Jesus says, so, the, so, so it's nighttime. They have people on tall ladders that light these. It doesn't happen instantly. They light the oil. And what happens is this whole place at night gets lit up way more than you would think. I mean, you think of it, it's like having light posts. There's, they've got four fires on each one of those. They are 75 feet high. That, that's not usually in the diagrams we see. I just wanted you to see that. So imagine Jesus is saying these things. He says, I am the living water. And then these lights are all going. Okay, let's look at the next image. This is what it would look like at night. And this is just a model. And so they've got, in this particular model, they've got all four of them with all four oil lights, oil basins, lit So what happens is this whole place glows. And if you're in the area where all four of those are, that's a lot of light. It's very special. And that's the moment that Jesus says that he is the light. As everybody's marveling, and as all of this comes to a head, he says, I'm the living water. Then he he jumps on top of that and says, I am the light. It's kind of a big moment. I'll show you some more as we move on, but let's go ahead and move in the text. Next verse. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Oh, really? Well, that's interesting. Because they certainly prop themselves up, don't they? Jesus knows that they're going to think like this. So in verse 14, he responds. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Now, that's an interesting statement. Jesus is definitely not, he doesn't miss a beat. When all this happens, and the, the water is there, and everybody, he says, I'm the living water, and then the, the lights illuminate, and there's a lot more people now believing, and then he says, I am the light. This is a powerful moment. It's like everything reaches a climax for this moment in time and history, when finally they understand why God was doing all that he was doing, was leading us to, the, to him. It's exactly what's happening. Pharisees don't like it so they challenge him. Well you you say these things about yourself but I mean you're 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 the only one saying it so your testimony is not valid. He doesn't miss a beat. He just goes on and says, "Well, you know, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going and you don't." That that's powerful. Not only does, he doesn't say the obvious. There's a couple of things he doesn't say that are obvious. Think about this. Remember how I painted a picture for you because it's the reality that the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus because he was working on the Sabbath. Here it is the Sabbath and he's teaching. And on this Sabbath day, you've got a priest that's going down to the bottom to the pool of Siloam and he comes up and pours the water Well, he's working. And while he's doing that, you've got people putting ladders up to these posts and lighting each of the oil basins at 75 feet off the ground. Everybody can see it. Jesus doesn't even have to state the obvious. They're critis- they, they want to kill him because he had people working on the Sabbath. And look, there's a priest doing it. There's people going up on the ladder. Some more Levites are going up there, lighting those. Does that not work? He doesn't even have to say it. Everybody's looking at it. I don't know. I, I just imagine him like, As they start questioning him, like, everybody paying attention? And he he highlights their hypocrisy by bringing up circumcision. Don't you have circumcisions that happen on the Sabbath that you force to happen? Isn't that work on the Sabbath? You hypocrites. Then you watch the people lighten those those tall 75-foot poles that are holding those basins. And then they're trying to to criticize him, he's getting more and more believers. As they criticize him, he basically says, you know what, I know where I come from, I know where I'm going, and you don't. Not only does he not miss a beat, it's like he takes a stride forward. They're the ones that are off step. You don't mess around when it comes to Jesus. He knows what he's doing, but they keep trying. Then he continues you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. That's, let's just pause for a minute. And I realize that it's, well, the next verse up there, JC. There you go. He says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. I, it keeps coming up behind me. But I want you to think about this. We use the word judge, even in Scripture, differently. What color... Are your shoes, well, they look black to me, well, you judge. Am I being condemning of my shoes when I decide the color? No, I'm making a judgment of what color I think they are. There's a big difference in saying, well, you judge whether it's blue or green, and saying, you judge whether that person goes to heaven or hell. There's a big difference. You judge right and wrong, and you judge someone's soul. That's, there's a difference. And here, Jesus is saying, essentially, he's contrasting, I don't judge according to the flesh. I don't do that. But he's going to be made the final judge, and he knows it. Verse 16, yet even I do, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So in other words, he bases his judgments on what his Father teaches him. Verse 17, he continues, In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. Verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now, the believers, the people that are choosing to believe in him at this point in time, this adds credibility because they know. Well, somebody had to heal the guy that's walking around. It didn't for so many years. That's God's testimony, so He's validating this guy. It's got to be the real Messiah. Verse 19, They said to Him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither Me nor My Father. If you knew Me, you would know My Father also. These words He spoke, this is verse 20, in the treasury as he taught in the temple but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come now we'll get to this further when we get to John chapter 14 but there's a lot of christian so-called experts out there that'll tell you that the jewish people are the chosen ones of god that will go to heaven no matter what they do if they're jewish they're in they're getting in that back door of heaven But when you get to John 14, Jesus clarifies what he says right here because you can't have the Father without the Son. And that's what he says in John chapter 14. So if you don't get some back door of heaven, everyone has to go through Jesus. He is the only way. It's not an anti-Semitic statement to quote Scripture. John chapter 14, 6 is the passage where Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Those are his words, not mine. Okay. Now I want to show you how significant it is that his hour had not yet come. Let's look at a diagram of the temple. This is just a a chart so you can see where the treasury is. The treasury happens to be off to the corner. If you're looking in the main entrance into the temple at the front, what you're looking at is uh, the entrance into the court of women and then off to the... If you, now this, the way you're looking at it, you would be going left. But if you're going in the front of it, you're going to go right and to the right-hand side. that little corner area is where the treasury is. That's where Jesus is teaching. So now let's look at the next image. And you see a model of the temple. And that is, it's significant. Uh, Some of the outside walls are 155 feet high from the earth up. Uh, The inside area, the highest part is 150 feet high. I want to show you where those uh, columns of fire are. see those pop up behind me. Hope you saw that. Uh, Let's go to the next image. There you go. Good job, JC. Let's go to the next one. And then right here is another um, model This is a computer-generated one. It doesn't show the whole temple, but it just shows you kind of the general area. Notice there is a wall of columns, significant one, that goes all around the whole thing. We looked at that at the previous model as well. Now, let's look at where Jesus was teaching right there in the treasury area. Now, think about where he is in relationship to where the people are and where the walls are. And the fact that he's teaching things and the Pharisees want him arrested and killed and nobody can do it because his time has not yet come, he's pretty confined. I mean, realistically, it sure looks like they could take him, but they didn't. And I have superimposed, I don't know if you saw that, those columns came up also there approximately where they would be and how high they would be illuminating the whole place. Jesus is in the middle of all of that. Now let's go to the next image. You'll see it up behind me. And that is the um, illuminated image I showed you before. And as he is there, as he's got everybody in the palm of his hands, and he's, they're unable to arrest him. The reason why, his time is not, his time is has not yet come, but his words are so powerful, the crowds are persuaded. And the Pharisees are getting more and more irritated. And at this moment, (laughs) he says to them again, I'm going away, this is verse 21, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come, verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come, they are definitely baffled by his words. One of the reasons they're baffled by his words is they're focused on the wrong things. They're too busy trying to accuse him. Rather than self-evaluate, they want to criticize him. That's what we do in our general nature. We're we're guilty of it as well. It does us so much better if we'll just self-evaluate. We just don't. Pharisees are in the middle of that, and they're not getting it. So they want to know, is he going to kill himself? Really? This is a thing that we think about today when we think about other people that we don't really understand what they're going through, what they're doing. We, we wonder things like that sometimes about some of our acquaintances or friends. So they're not even sure he is doing okay. They still want to kill him, but they're wondering what he's he going to do this himself? To himself? Or verse 23 continues. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Now that's a very troubling statement to say to people who actually believe in life after death. He's telling them, you're getting death after death. Verse 25 and 26, So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. So he's claiming deity in the middle of all of this, and they're still questioning, Who are you? Now, remember, they asserted themselves before. We know where he came from. Didn't he he come from Galilee? Nothing good comes from Galilee. They're acting like they know all about things. And now they're like, "Who, who are you? Verses 27 and 28. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And as we see this scenario unfold, as we go through John, what we are allowed to see is an image that was painted only by the Father. You know, I'm sure that Pilate thought that he was just doing what he thought was best. You know, the crime, his crime, was put it on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. When he was lifted up, That was the sign over him. So they knew. They just didn't want to acknowledge it. Verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. How could they not? They're trying to get him off step. Instead, he keeps talking, and when he does, he does it with such confidence and with such power, and he is by himself illuminated by the oil basins 75 feet above him. There's 16 of them, and as he's saying, I'm the water that you need. I am the light of the world, and they're going, who are you? Other people are figuring it out. And even though he's by himself and all these Pharisees want him dead, he says, I am not alone. More people believe. Physically, yeah, he's alone. I mean, there's people all around, but he's got to do this by himself. But the Father is with him. You th- need to think about that when you feel all alone, and you've got to do what God wants you to do. You may be around other people, but you may have to do what God wants you to do, and you may feel all alone. You stay close to Jesus, the Father will not leave you. Verse Now uh, let's move on uh, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hmm. Verse 33, They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Now, I find it quite ironic that they would even say such a thing. He has got them so off their their best that they're saying something that's absolutely absurd to the crowds because this whole feast they've been doing is all about, remember when our forefathers wandered for 40 years after being enslaved for 400 years? That's what the feast is all about. Finally, after all that time, and we rejected the promised land, He still took care of us as we wandered. And they were enslaved for 400 years. But they're saying now, we've never, we're descendants of Abraham, we've never been enslaved. There's 400 years of history that says otherwise, and you just had a feast that talks about the bounty of God, where you're celebrating that God keeps providing. And part of that feast was focused on, That time you were enslaved, he set you free, you refused to have the promised land in 40 years, you wandered around, but he still provided light, and he still provided food and water. (laughs) And they make such an absurd statement. Jesus doesn't even have to address it. He doesn't have to say, are you kidding me? Did you forget what we're in the middle of doing right now? We're celebrating... My father took care of after 400 years of bondage and then he tried to send your lineage into the promised land. You rejected it. So 40 years of wandering and yet he still took care of you and we celebrate that today. I'm telling you, I am the water and I am the light. He didn't have to do that. The people already know. They've already been hearing him talk and the Pharisees they just sound as absurd as most of those commercials that are being shoved down our throats right now. I mean, even if you like some of those commercials, don't you get sick of them? I mean, the political commercials are overwhelming. (sighs) We, we don't watch TV, uh, but Stephanie likes, we're already watching Christmas stuff and it's all, it's all the on-demand stuff and those commercials are there. Boom, 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 boom. Same one, one after another. Crazy. Hopefully, we just vote smart and don't vote what commercials say. But the Pharisees are talking, and to the crowd, just like there they go again. They're sick of it. <laughs> they're saying stupid stuff. Well, we've never been enslaved. Oh, maybe not you personally, but you're, you just tied in your history to Abraham's descendants. Oh, yes, you were. But look at this. Jesus answered them, verse 34, and verse, all the way to verse 36. Truly, truly, amen, amen is the Greek word. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. The problem is they don't even realize that there is a ball and chain slowing them down. They are sticking to their additional regulations they've attached to the law, and the law was designed to lead us to Jesus, and they don't see it. Crowds do. Pharisees don't. I'm going to talk about some practical application. This is the so what of a Sunday morning message. I have at the bottom, again, emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. So let's look at the practical application, and this applies to each one of those elements. We'll take them one at a time. Did that practical application not come up? There it is. All right, so here we go with the first one. If you thirst for more in this life, Jesus is what you need. He's already told the crowds that, and the Pharisees, they just think they've got what they need. Second thing, there are seven of these, by the way. If you struggle with your own identity and purpose, Jesus knows you and has a great plan for you. And the implication is there when he says, I know who I am, I know where I come from, And I know where I'm going. He also knows us. And he's got a great plan for us. Third, if things feel heavy and dark, Jesus can carry you through and can illuminate your path, brightening your life. All of these things are illuminated to everyone that's listening to him right there in the court of women. Four, if life is confusing, the light of Jesus can provide depth, perspective, and meaning, helping make sense of things. It's, uh, it could be alarming if you've ever gone into a very dark place where there's no light and all of a sudden you, you strike a match or turn a flashlight on and then you see See what's actually around you. Because when the light is out, like if you've ever gone into like a tour of underground caves, and they say, turn off all the lights, even though you know everybody is still there, it, it's very weird, because all of a sudden, you can't see it. But light provides depth and perspective and meaning. Jesus' light and can help make sense of things. The fifth thing, if you feel lost, Jesus can light your way. The sixth thing, maybe I've only got six. If you feel trapped, stuck, or enslaved, Jesus offers remarkable freedom, which comes with peace, hope, and joy. I'm sure you knew those things, but if you've got a ball and chain that's slowing you down, it's easy to not realize what's holding you back. As you plug through life, as you forge ahead, and you go through, and this world is a very dark world, it's real easy to forget and Jesus can make it all better and make it all make sense and can provide this this peace and this hope and this joy. When we talk about joy, we're not just talking about singing songs in church. We're talking about living life laughing through difficulties because God takes care of His own. Oh, I want you to look at a a source of light up behind me. It's a candle that's just flickering. We seem to be drawn to this sort of thing, and Jesus knew this. You see Him referencing these kinds of things, and you see Him using this kind of thing. We'll see it as we move along, and John even more. But I have a candle going up behind me because I want to talk about um, uh, some sources of light again. And the candle helps us focus. You don't have to look at me. If you want to, look at the candle. But the captain of the ship repeatedly kept telling the other person at the other end of the radio, You have to move. We're going to keep going, full speed ahead. We're not changing our course. You must move. We're a big ship. Roger that. I hear you say that. I'm telling you, we cannot do that. And the captain's getting so irritated. So finally, that source of light says, you're not listening. You don't understand where you are. We're a lighthouse. We recommend... Steer to the right. And the Pharisees didn't understand where they were. They didn't understand who they were standing in front of. They didn't understand where they were headed. Jesus tried to tell them. And here we are sometimes forging ahead through life, going through the darkness of this world, and there could be so much darkness. And He's trying to tell us that he's the solution. He is the light. And if we can draw to him, draw near to him, everything else will come into perspective. So I recommend to you today, if you want to be freed, focus on the light of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that reminds us you have the solutions to life. You know how to show us where we are and where we're going. Even if we seem to be heading for imminent disaster or tragedy, you can steer us in the right direction if we'll simply listen to your voice and follow your direction and let your light illuminate the path before us. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us and giving us the wisdom that we need to navigate through the difficulties of life. In Jesus' name, amen.